0: how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And, like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does, their, what does others' healing look like?
1: Hey, everybody, this is Rose. And this is Louisa. And you're listening to Sober Sex i made a promise to myself to stop not listening what it looks like now is that i make conscious choices around my sexuality it started with putting down the substances really and starting to listen and the listening to my body has changed <laughs> La Frecheur has been making a name for herself as a producer, DJ, and live
0: act for over a decade. Hailing from Paris, now based in Barcelona via Berlin, La Frecheur has toured the world and is a resident at some of the techno scene's most legendary parties, notably those in queer and kink spaces. She is an intersectional feminist activist and has just released an awesome EP on Lobster Theremin. We are excited, thrilled, delighted to welcome her to Sober Sex. Rose, how did you feel about that conversation?
1: Oh my God, what a conversation, what energy, enthusiasm. I also just learned so much listening to her talk about her um, upbringing in France and the journey that she's made across these different countries and how she's taken her embodiment, her sexuality, her um, integrity with her through her work, but also out in the world in using her creative platform as a political voice in techno. I just think it's such an inspiring message and I'm stoked for the world to hear it.
0: Oh my God. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, I feel like she's our new favorite person.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> like Rose and I were actually texting ourselves throughout the conversation being like, we love her. We love her. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> uh, a dream.
0: Like full disclosure, like we met right before the pandemic. So probably like last January, February at a very small Town queer party in the middle of nowhere and like we had a train ride back to Paris where we kind of connected and like made friends and I'm just like fuck man like (laughs) it's so it feels so good to have like new friendships that feel like that, you know, that feel kind of like glittery and magical and, and it's what a nice thing to be able to have a, a like a space to
1: invite them to. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. And as as your bestie and you being godmother to my child, <laughs> I'm just excited <laughs> that there are people in your industry who aren't just all see you next Tuesdays. Do you know what I mean? Like that you actually have people in your industry who align with the same integrity that I see you out in the world with. So I'm just like, yay. When do we see her more? <laughs> I'm going to Barcelona to hang out with her. I adore her. Nice. Yeah. Thank you, Aww. La Frascheur. Yes, thank you so much, Perrine. And
0: uh, just in case you're listening and you're like, what the fuck is this intro? Uh, we're starting a new thing where we record the intro at the end of what we've done so we're a little bit looser because we realized it was like mad awkward most times that we were recording introductions with the guests like sitting there like hearing about themselves awkwardly
1: <laughs> slowly <laughs> so. dying inside and just being like I didn't come on this podcast to have this happen <laughs> <laughs> to be inflicted yes please do this in the private of your own home anyway yes as a guest we are stoked to share this episode for you thanks for tuning in
2: so
0: La how are you
2: I'm good. I'm uh, I'm a little overwhelmed with a bunch of things right now, but it's good kind of because after a few months of being utterly idle in a way that didn't make me feel happy, to be finally having a bunch of projects and make me feel like I have a reason to wake up in the morning feels good. It's a little much to go from nothing to suddenly back to a lot because I got used to not doing shit, even if it didn't make me happy, but I'm I'm happy to be involved in, in different projects that makes me happy. Definitely wondering
1: how people are managing the change from sort of like a year of nothing and isolation potentially. And then how do we manage our energy levels going back out into the world? I'm really concerned about the world and that we don't just all burn out in three months because we're just like Fuck! one week.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's been one of my questions because to me, the to go from being hyperactive and hyper. Driven and well, hyper focused. Mm. Well, let's say hyperactive and hyper driven. To nothing was a really hard adjust, uh and, and it was a gradual adjust in the month. But now to be back with some things that normally I would, I, I would have no problem overlapping projects. I've done that my whole life, and then suddenly I'm like, have I lost my ability to be multitasking and gb right. You know, it's more. I think this might take a little bit. I think when people like from our scene, people from our scene, and people from other that are, don't have work and have to go back to work, I think it's going to take us a few weeks, maybe a few months to adjust. And we need to just think about that beforehand to To be kind with ourselves and know that going back into full mode uh, is going to take, is going to be just as challenging as forgetting what being full on is.
1: Totally. And that idea of multitasking, I always told myself I was so good at, I don't know how actually how good I was in
2: practice.
1: (laughs) And so having had an opportunity for a bit of downtime, just thinking like, do I really want to go back to that 10 things at once person?
2: Like, Um, What
1: did that really make me happy? Was that a really a fulfilling lifestyle balance? Or was that just because that's what you do as a creative person?
2: I think that's a very good question. Uh, I think I'm gonna have to find a better balance going back into what I was doing with uh, less things. Like I was, right. I was running around, and a lot of it was holding out of on being on nerves. Like not even mm-hmm. stressed, as in it's 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 anxiety. Just like it's the nerves, it's the it's the being full on that keeps you being full on. It's like when you're yeah, already totally. pedaling on a bike, and it just keeps you moving. <laughs> yeah, same. I'm just gonna have to pedal slower. Because I don't think going back to the way I was running, from project to project, from gig to gig, from country to country, was was uh, sustainable in the long run.
1: Totally. 100%. I had a breakthrough in therapy last week when my therapist said to me, do you think your need to feel excited about things is actually an avoidance point? And I was like... What? I, I only identify with the emotion the excitement as like how I want to feel when I'm feeling good, like excited and thrilled and participating and um, full of abundant like enthusiasm. And she was like, But do you think that you just click into that as a way of avoiding? And I was like, Fuck. That <laughs> was I, a moment of like, Shit, now what? <laughs> Am I've I in the had, grown up bit? <laughs>
2: yeah, I've had a similar. Conversation with my therapist who used similar ish words. And her thing was like, Do you think you need to be constantly stimulated and excited? Isn't it a bit like teenage And I'm like, Okay, are you here to fucking insult me? Because <laughs> you're not going to be on the good. But it's the same thing. It's like, do we actually need to be constantly stimulated? and constantly excited and it's been not only part of the way i use i, I work my career but it's has been honestly part of my personality too so i think like- i'm part of it is my personality and i'm gonna have to go back to this because that is i'm a curious person i want to be experiencing a lot of different things and i'm gonna keep on doing that but i need to maybe space like learn to space out a little bit the excitements yeah. and not just try to pile yeah. more because this can get uh, exhausting just even physically <sighs> exhausting yeah, hundred I mean,
0: I feel like the, the kind of job requirement of a touring artist was that at, at a certain point. And now, like, as everything's kind of reopening more slowly and it has to be more localized for the time being, it's actually a really good opportunity to kind of change strategies in how we function on tour. Because I know that, like, my pattern was kind of I would get in like a manic state of anxiety before I go anywhere just because it like traveling generally makes me anxious (laughs) and then it would kind of peak in performance like when I finally got competent and knew what I was doing and had the level of intensity that was kind of like ideal (laughs) for actually playing and then you know like the hour to like 12 hour refractory period of like bottoming out on all the adrenaline having left and having no more like access to joy. (laughs) But the whole time being slightly disassociated because like, the feel like the feelings were actually intolerable like the level of anxiety the level of mania the level of intensity the level of depression were none of them were tenable to actually
2: like be embodied with yeah. <laughs> so, i think you, you mentioned something is is really important for us as touring artists or as artists is we are completely high from the adrenaline when we play like even as sober djs we are high from the adrenaline when we play and when we stop playing i'm still high for a few maybe 45 minutes hour and then i just crush into like being exhausted and people are like hey let's go to the after party I'm like no 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 no, no. I'm <laughs> like, sorry I'm going to go to bed by myself <laughs> no just like room and sleep because I have a train in five hours and then when I get back on that train I have a plane and then when I get from, back from that plane I have a remix to do because the deadline is in for the, you know it's this and I think it will be accepting you know telling hey maybe the remix you know what i can't do it in a month i need a month and a half or hey maybe this gig i can't do you know like just be like maybe I, it's okay if i don't go from a gig to five hour nap to a plane to a train to a remix to then another nap to another gig like that's not that's not sustainable and i'm um, somehow since we are here to see the silver linings now a year into the pandemic that's one of the silver linings for me of the pandemic is realizing that i could have probably maintained that crazy schedule for two three more years until i crashed you know burned out and i would rather that i didn't get to crash and i realize now that we need to rebalance everything so that i want things go back to quote quote unquote normal Mm. i can actually make this last longer instead of like crashing in four years and like all right i'm out of this career i'm out of everything bye i'm done you know Mm. i think it's a it's a it's a it's the silver lining And it's kind
0: of amazing that we don't have to like, that it's not personal, you know, because I think on a lot of levels, it would be like, if I did this, if I took like a year off by myself, like without a global pandemic going on, I feel like it would be very difficult to recover. But because everybody's going through this together, and I think we're all having very similar realizations of like, this is where my capacity is at right now. And it's a fluctuating point. Mm
2: hmm. I think this is really true. I think the fact that we didn't we have we can do it all together and not just one person individually on their own feels like first you don't have to have the guilt of like am i fucking up my career by taking a year off? Am i you know taking taking the pressure you put on yourself of being always the best, the most functioning, the most uh, stable, the most working, the most productive. There would be a personal guilt if we had to do it individually, but we don't, we all have to do it at the same time. So (laughs) first the guilt is taken off. And second, I think it creates empathy, which means that when today I can tell my booker, my label, or you, whatever, like, hey, I'm going to need more time to do something or, hey, I can't do this or that people understand, which Two years ago, I don't think all the if you if we had this conversation if we if we put those boundaries with our collaborators in their industry I don't think there would have been a lot of understanding of this.
1: Absolutely. Um,
2: when I see so many of my friends DJ friends like crying like I used to be pre pandemic, friends of mine coming to a gig crying because they haven't slept in forever and they they're sick and they have fever and they're like you know you're allowed to like cancel a gig or move a thing and they're like, I can't my booker told me if we do this we're fucked and I'm like and so I know for a fact two years ago we didn't have that empathy so hopefully Mm -hmm. everyone in the industry being in in this mess emotional and spiritual and psychological will brings already uh, enough empathy that we can all accept a general change that comes with an individual change yeah. fingers bloody
1: crossed i really really do hope so um for all my touring friends because i see the stress it puts on everyone and i used to all. um when i was an actor and it was the last thing that took me out that made me decide that i didn't have <laughs> didn't want to be enough skin in the game i was like yeah. 20 years of just ba- i'm like i'm in my 30s i don't want to f- fucking be going round bloody france in <laughs> these little villages or whatever and no thanks no, thanks.
0: And I also, I think that maybe the, the downtime having kind of given us, you know, we've all talked about our therapists, like, but given us access to new kind of, I, I hate to say it, but like sensitivity in the fact that like, instead of being slightly disassociated or kind of in like a crazed state 24 seven, that now like the ability to kind of listen to body and say no, based on like actual energy reserves is like, that's a new skill because I I like didn't, I was so severed that I wouldn't have been able to make that articulation that like i can't actually do this before so i would wind up like you say like crying <laughs> being like and i can't you do it this a, you know?
2: and then you have the weight of taking it as a personal failure it's like how am i not doing this other people are doing it. and also the mm-hmm. the social i should images, be grateful like yeah. yeah exactly i should be grateful why am i like losing it like no, we all see only the good sides of everyone's career with Definitely. the social medias and but we still carry the weight of like, oh am I doing enough? Am I good enough? Am I and because we're in a competition, unfortunately, in a in an industry that's based on competition between the artists and DJs. And I think being able to remove yourself from this, being like, you know what? I'm not in a competition with anyone. If I can do this and somebody else can, well, good for them. If my boundary and my limit is here, that's where my boundary and my limit is. And that's going to, my career has, my career is going to have to be built around my own abilities and boundaries rather than my my career being built around what other people can do that I can't. I don't know if it Hell makes sense. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah, I totally, totally, totally wish that for you. So we were super lucky enough to have you as a panelist on our glorious community and consent panel. Thank you so much. I was, was very awesome happy to you have you. Was- oh yeah, um, you were so enthusiastic and curious and passionate um as part of the conversation. I'm really stoked to have met you on there. Um, it seems like your activism is really linked with your creative process. Can you tell us about how these intersect for you?
2: Um, I don't know if my activism is linked to my creative process. My activism is linked to my creative platform in the sense that I can't imagine being an artist, basically meaning, um, having my voice out there, whether I'm putting my voice out there on my own or whether I have people asking me for my voice to be out there, but I have a platform and my voice out there. And as a privileged person, I think it's my duty to use that platform so for the people who don't hear, I'm white, I'm, I'm French, uh, I'm a woman, I'm a queer woman, but I still have a bunch of privileges within 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 this this intersection. And so it's important for me. So so my activism doesn't go so much in my creative process as much as I have a platform. people listen to me. For some reason just because they love my music or just because they love whatever i need to use that platform to go a little forward and uh, i think it's very important that especially in the techno scene because it's been uh, immensely commodified uh, in the past decade uh, compared to hip-hop or for whom hip-hop has always been political and people have not forgotten that hip-hop is political so even when you have Club oriented hip hop track trap tracks, there's still always a range of people doing con- conscious hip-hop. With Techno, it got lost along the way and it's become it, it became it was at first a political music and then it became uh, something that was solely used for entertainment. And for me, it's very important to reintroduce uh, uh, politics in my music that I make because techno has always been like that. So I think like it's the most truthful way of doing it, but also because I really believe that when you're dancing, when you're in a club as a dancer, this is the moment where your brain is the most open and you have the most open mind you can have at this point Uh, because you're relaxed, because you're in tune with yourself, you're in tune with your community. And I want to use that moment. I want to use that, that brain space that dancers give me as a DJ to, to use to, to bring uh, political aspects. There's this French, the the former uh, president of French TV, uh, TF1, so the, the first big private channel, uh, used has said, like he was probably 15 years ago, he said, my job at TF1 is to create free brain space for Coca-Cola which meant my my, wow. my 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 TV <laughs> shows so are meant direct. my TV shows are meant to be dumb enough that you brain out so that when the commercial comes in you soak it in i was like i'm going to do the opposite people voluntarily give me their open brain to be soaked i'm going to put some politics into it it's the complete like opposite uh, route, but that's that's so all this to say that it's whether it's by making music that's political or whether it's using my platform as an artist to make my merch a fundraiser because I'm selling my merch is, is solely fundraising for NGO that support human rights. Because when it was time to do merch, I could not in my labels like you need to have T-shirts and stuff like that. I can't imagine a T-shirt with my name on it. That's that I can't. But I'm gonna make merch and make it something bigger. So it's not so much in the creative process as a creative platform. Every oh, time yes. I have a platform, let's make it political. So if it's hey, I have I need to find remixers, great, but those remixers will be women, will be poor people, will be people, people of color. Okay, I have to do merch, great, but this great with this this merch will raise money for something. Okay, I have to do music. Great, but I'm gonna put art uh, like samples of politi- political political uh, activists in it. It's just there. You go. It's using your platform. Ooh.
1: That's so <laughs> inspiring. Love so I hope <laughs> I hope that anybody who's like a rising DJ hears that. And is just like, oh, this is this is the point. Like I've heard Lou talk about it so many times about the work being a prayer, or you know, or embedding a prayer within a track, or. Kind of it being of service in some way, but it's super nice to hear that extending into other places in the techno world.
0: And I think it's important in that, just like if I, if I'm the only one to do it and people aren't down with this vibe, they're like, I don't want to learn anything. Fuck off. Then I feel like it's it's it feels riskier and therefore less. I'm less likely to do it, or I have to I have to kind of gather more courage in order to put something very real into the world. But if I feel like there's kind of support of an army of people who really give a fuck doing a similar thing then it's like it becomes the culture of what we do and that's a lot more appealing than just like you know, making music about getting drunk on yachts or whatever the fuck people are making music about—like <laughs> it's so offensive. It's that it's I, I that understand
2: what thing. you. I understand what you mean with like the risk because it is a risk. Uh, and as a, once again, since we're in an industry that's based on competition, it's always like, am I making the right move? Or if I'm gonna play this track, political right track right now, and people are gonna hate it, does it is gonna impact? And then people are gonna be like, I'm not booking that show because I'm done with her making shit political. Like it is a risk. But, okay, if we're going to talk about great people, um, because you're, I'm happy that you're happy with me, but I think there's greater people than me, and if there's a person that convinced me to follow my track, is when I went to do my, my first album, I went to do it during an artist residency in Detroit with uh, Underground Resistance. Oh, wow. At the Underground Resistance studio. And I had a talk, I had a few talks with Mike Banks, who was hosting me, who was a very busy person and who I didn't see a lot, but we had three... Like the the night I came in and the light, night I left and then a night in the middle. So maybe three nights of like three, four hours of just him and I having tea and talking. And I was telling him I wanted to do a political album. And I knew that I didn't have a record label to reach that when I was making the album. And I knew that it would close more doors to me than it would open by the content being political. And that i was scared of like i was like this is what i want to do and this is what i need to do but it's 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 i don't know if it's too early in my career to take such a risk or whatever and he said the thing is if this is what you want to do you need to do it because if you do something that doesn't feel right and it tanks you will always think that it tanks because you didn't do what you wanted to do if you do it and it works then you will be feeling good because it was really true to yourself and also if it's gonna close your door, and that's the most important thing he said, is like if it's gonna close your doors, it's gonna be doors you didn't want to go through in the beginning. Let them let let your album close door for you. Then the few ones, sure, there might be less that are open, but the few ones that are open are the ones you want to go through. Hell so, yes. Thank you, okay. Mike Banks. <laughs> Thank you, Mike Banks. In the <laughs> sense that, yes, I understand the risk as a DJ. We're like, should I play this? Is this just play it because worst case scenario? people don't like it and you will attract another crowd which is the crowd you want a crowd uh, the crowd you want to attract and yes it's a risk and yes it takes longer but also it's not like there is a million people doing political techno so we're 7 billion humans on the planet even if making political techno is going to close the door to most festivals and most audience and most whatever the few that need that music right now will find me or I'll find them you know there will always be people who connect to what you do so just do your thing baby play play those tracks that you're afraid of playing they'll be fine
0: it's the it's the meaningful specific right instead of kind of playing to a broad generality there're plenty of fucking dj's making non-political music you know exactly or making entertainment rather than art perhaps or or an yep. artistic statement so like if i fo- like instead of focusing on trying to get everybody's attention it's like i'm not mcdonald's fuck off like not everybody's going to like what I do, but the five people might really love it and connect with it and find it necessary. Yeah. And they might have five people and they might have five people. So it's exactly. like
2: exponential. And I know it, goes, it goes against once again, the entire industry because the inter- entire industry wants you to, to appeal to the widest audience so that your Instagram has 20, 120 K followers. And you have, but I would rather have like, I'm like, if, I'm not joking. I have like the shittiest, most boring Instagram ever, but I, pretty much every other day I receive messages from people that follow me that says, Hey, I was listening to that track. And it made me feel good. Hey, I was, wow. I was carrying, I was wearing your t-shirt and I, that opened up a conversation with my mom. Hey, I, like, so maybe I don't appeal to the widest, but the people who I do appeal to, I actually create a real bond with them. And I actually feel that my music has an impact, which I think feels better than, I don't know how many more likes that are just random you know, random likes. Well,
0: especially if it's at the cost of your integrity, you know, like that's a fucking yeah. high price
1: exactly. <laughs> to do boring bullshit. is very expensive actually. Yeah. So now to get more personal, given the show is called sober sex. What were some of the early messages you received around sex and sexuality?
2: Uh, well, let's see. I was raised in a private school until I was, I think like, Uh, 12 13 14 something like that so there was no like when it comes to at school there was no sex ed whatsoever
0: so wait Uh, because i think private means three different things in in all of our countries like for
2: america uh, catholic school (laughs) catholic school school. okay cool (laughs) Catholic school obviously no sex ed at school and the very little sex related were geni- or genitalia related and they were obviously very also poor because we just learned the reproduction and not really good at that and it's probably an hour in your entire yeah. so from school nothing um, from culture that it was obviously very straight so I wasn't included in that because I knew very early on that I was gay and so I was not included in the portrayal of sexual relationships and very male centric obviously mm-hmm. because uh, I had access to just the cheap porn that you can find when you have a first game computer and you just google whatever and that's what you come up with and so it's straight porn like male <laughs> focused focus on my pleasure um so my you
1: threesomes with like with, dudes. With, where you're just exactly, like...
2: And, and women wearing stilettos while fucking yeah. and you're like, okay, that seems <laughs> very uncomfortable. That looks okay. like a
1: lot of work. <laughs> that looks like a lot of
2: work. So as a as a as a teenage or or young kid or young kid, teenage, young adult, uh it was just mainstream heteronormative culture. Whether movies, porn, or school, that was I really only discovered uh, more ways to explore my sexuality once I once I already figured there was let's say there was a moment where I I, I could feel the the disassociation between me and what culture was showing me. Then there was a moment where I was like, okay, well, fuck culture, because obviously that's not going to be where I find my my balance. So I found my own road, and I was happy with it. But then there was a third part, which was linked to Berlin and being a little older, which was. Uh being a, a DJ in kink parties and seeing a lot of different sexual uh sexual experiment sexual uh, uh uh expression, sexual experiment. Uh, it was finding porn that was either queer or or conscious, at least even if it was like straight portrayed that it was with with uh like even some super mainstream stuff like the, the what Erica Lust does, which is you know, like at least it's not male-centric. And so, you know, I both like partner that. both partners are involved. Uh and the que and the porn scene in Berlin is very alternative. So being being able to be linked to some porn perform- performers and therefore seeing their work and be like, okay, well there's other things to to look at. But this, to be honest, was already like around my 30s. So I'm 37, it was around my thirties. So it was already when I had built my own sense of sexuality outside of the norm and I had found a com- comfort place and then seeing all those things in Berlin helped me solidify where I, where I was. As in like, okay, I didn't just get there on my own because I couldn't get anywhere else. I get there and then I realized there's a bunch of people like me and, you know, I was I did the right path. I don't know if it makes sense.
1: Yeah, totally. It makes perfect sense. I'm
0: curious yeah. as to how you even, like, arrived with early ideas of, like, sexual identity and kind of sexuality. Like, you kind of talk about building a place that felt like yours within, like, a sea of kind of heteronormative mainstream patriarchal culture. Like, how did you, even as, like, a really young person, kind of start to find... Like space for that or create space for that for you?
2: Uh, I think for me, it was to be at least aware. If I didn't know what I was doing or what I wanted to do, it was knowing what I didn't want to do. As in like knowing your boundaries. So knowing like this sexual practice is what you know culture tells me lesbian does but does that feel good to me it doesn't so let's let's try to find what you know like for example this whole thing of like okay like only scissoring lesbian, <laughs> it's you know, like oh it's <laughs> gonna be scissoring and are like well scissoring depends on your partner it's not always the right spot mix. so maybe scissoring could be something but maybe it's not what i have to be about solely <laughs> or there's the other thing the other thing Side of the spectrum which is well lesbian they have to wear a strap-on because then they can reproduce straight sex and so wearing a strap-on as a reproduction of straight sex instead of wearing a strap-on because it provides you and your partner pleasure yeah right so i guess it was just experimenting i've been like okay well i'll buy a strap-on i'll buy a a dildo and then realize okay but the way they want me to use it as in the way it seems like i'm supposed to use it doesn't feel good for me or my partner but we have a tool now. we have a toy. Let's use it differently. It's just like so it's experimenting with you and your partner or partners. and And so for me it was it was figuring out that the boxes that the sex industry, even and I'm saying sex industry, not just because of porn and everything, but also because once again, the tools you buy, like the text sex toys you buy. and and's be like, okay, well, apparently the sex toy industry wants me to do one thing. That's not exactly how I want to box. So let's try to find ways around it. And then once I found my own ways like being able to to witness other people fucking uh as in as in uh, when i was playing uh in in those king parties and sex positive parties and then realizing that oh well what i figured out other people figured out so we just we just and then it was a reinforcement of once again the path that i took which is i think lays in setting your own boundaries and centering around your pleasure what makes you feel good start from there and if it goes with the image you have from the outside great if it doesn't it's okay if it goes with the tool in the sex toys the outside wants to give you good. If it doesn't, it's okay. Just start with your own pleasure. That's and so
0: empowering. Fuck man.
2: <laughs> Just like, cause I think one of the beauties of like,
0: not necessarily having a, a, like a cultural map or, or defining your own like experience by like, I don't want it to be that. I don't want it to be that. I don't know. Identify with that. I don't really like that. Even though it's everybody, like I'm getting the message that I should. So I, but I don't. So I'm off my list, you know, like, that sounds like a lot more kind of communicative embodied, like um, a kind of reality-based experience yeah. that just kind of, I know for me, like again, discussing therapy, like even this week with like the conversation was like feeling so much, not regret, but like sadness, like grief for everything that I just assumed was true. And was actually not, you know, mostly about like my fucking internalizing the patriarchy of like, Oh, my life is about male pleasure. <laughs> like,
2: yeah. Fuck. The, the word you say grief is that because we've been, we need to remove ourselves from the, the way we're told to think and the way we taught to see the world and we're, the way we taught, we're taught to uh, imagine relationships. We need to remove ourselves from that. But that means that means agreeing to let go of the buoy, basically, because that was the buoy you were holding yourself on, and then you realize the buoy is sinking or the buoy is not doing anything for you. So you have to remove yourself. But that means you're gonna go on adventure in the ocean where you don't know where the next buoy is. So it is, it is. Uh, you, ne- you need to trust yourself that you're doing this for you and that's your right path. But it's very, it's it, it is scary because uh, I think and for example, there's one thing that. Well, we'll see whether or not you're going to edit that after we talk nah, about it. But... Go for it. Go crazy. No. Uh, we love this shit. Because <laughs> the thing is, um, I knew for a fact that for a long time in the beginning of my sex life, I was mainly topping because I knew it would take me a long time to come. And so I was, and I was in the thing of like, oh, it's we're, And this is porn, completely porn oriented, which is like about performance and fastness of coming. And I was like, if I can't make it happen, I'm just going to top my partner she's gonna come in pressure whatever off. time she needs to come pressure off and then but that didn't make me happy because I was like when when do I come exactly when do I apart from the pleasure of of, of giving someone pleasure when and this and and this took years to unlearn to be like okay well it's okay if you take time to come because and you, you can't just like you can't switch the way you have sex just so that it can be your sex cannot be performance based. I think. I, well, all I want to say this is that like it has to be a communication. And then as soon as I started feeling more comfortable and being able to talk about my about 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 this to my partners, and then realizing I actually don't need some a lot of time to come. It's just not the five minutes from porn, but actually, <laughs> you know, it's just I'm fine. And so I think it's 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 removing from the stress of performance sex. Having sex is not supposed to be about performance. It's supposed to be about having a fun, pleasurable, intimate moment with someone. If it ends with an orgasm, great. If it ends with an orgasm for the both of you or the three of you or how many people are involved, great. But sex is not an orgasm. The orgasm Mm. is the, the, the cherry on top. And if you have an amazing moment, a pleasurable moment, an intimate moment, a moment that's filled with communication and laughter and then, you know, you're having a good time and chances are you're going to come at the end because you've had that intimacy Absolutely. and this fun and this carefree time before him. So all this is... Oh, I think, the...
1: Sorry, sorry. No,
2: no, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, I just wanted to pick up on a point that you said that so much of growing in intimacy is actually unlearning and how challenging that is in itself. Like we have to go through an education process within... Um, a deeper intimate relationship if that's indeed what we want and that requires so much undoing of bad habits and unpicking and I'm totally with you like the performance aspects sometimes I still just slip into it because it's easier do you know what I mean yeah. and it's so inbuilt and I think what would be really exciting is if there was I don't know because I get the opportunity to be a mum and um, bring a human into this world like I'm really just thinking about fuck I want her to be able to know that she doesn't have to just be this people pleaser, you know. I don't know if that's a good conversation for a mom to have at any point. Possibly, I think it's, but... a, I think
2: it's a very good. Uh, I think it's a very good conversation that might be awkward because those things will always be awkward when it comes oh, to yeah. talking to the <laughs> godmother.
1: Give it to the godmother. I'm going to give it to, exactly. give all it all it to Lou.
2: Like I know, yeah. for example, that this conversation <laughs> that my sister doesn't necessarily feel super comfortable having with her daughter, and I'm having it them with her because I'm the removed I'm the cool aunt I'm a little removed <laughs> I can tell her hey it's okay to you know let your your pussy hair grow because she you know remember one time I took a bath with her and she was like wow you don't shave <laughs> I was like yeah it's also an option like you 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 have yeah. options and those yeah. this is one of them and <laughs> here are your choices <laughs> your, here are your choices and so it's okay if it's not you I think you as like moms have a lot of pressure to wrong to right every wrong of patriarchy, first of all, it's it's not all on mom's on mom's shoulders. And it's also totally. with like your daughter or other people who are right now, hopefully like 14, 15, 17, 18, 20, 20 25, whatever, listening to this right now, will be like, oh, okay, well, that's that helps. Resources that we're creating right now that didn't exist for me 20 years ago. A hundred percent. I never heard anybody,
1: although th- having said that, my parents were really like, out and proud about sexuality and intimacy to the point where it was just like fucking disgusting. I was, like, yeah. I, it was like yeah. too much. And I think appropriacy is really important and timing is super important. So knowing that we're creating resources. So, you know, if that conversation does come up, I was like, speak to your godmother.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. Or listen to this thing. Or, you know, I think mean, yeah. you don't have to carry on your shoulder all of your kids Uh, sexual experience because also it can also have a the traumatizing effect effect, which is maybe not traumatizing (laughs) but like because if you talk about them during teenage which is the time where you need to talk about them but they're also the time where they're rebellious maybe it's better if it doesn't come from you you know 100 so thanks for this therapy session you (laughs) guys know that you have like other people you know you're surrounded with friends and family and they can also take on some of the burden of this
1: Real talk. Thanks, girls. <laughs> very we'll be, happy. We'll
0: show up at your doorstep in like 13 and a half years being like, hey, <laughs> it's time for
1: and the talk, like, <laughs> And I'll be like, it's too early. We live in Paris. What are you doing? Come back in two years. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, where did you grow up in France?
2: I grew up in Nantes. Ah, uh, Nantes!
1: Louis My is favorite, favorite city. Step away from I the do, when yeah. Nantes not not. mentioned. My bad.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I lived in Nantes until I was eighteen, and then I moved to Paris until I was like maybe twenty-six, and yeah, and then I moved to Montreal, and then I moved to Berlin.
1: Wow, what took you to Berlin? Uh, Apart from the obvious, which no, is just okay. like, no,
2: Actually, you're going to be, no, it's the opposite. Like I, I wanted to go back to Montreal, but I couldn't I because of immigration yeah. because I was out of all the temporary visas and I could only go with like a full on immigration. And turns out I was not eligible for it because I don't have a diploma and I don't have all those things that they're looking for. So I had to find a plan B very quick because when I came back from Montreal, I knew I didn't want to stay in France. And so I was basically making a list of the things that made me happy in Montreal and trying to find a city in Europe that had that. And so that was like uh, affordable, uh, affordable rent. Uh, that was uh, bike lanes everywhere. People that recycle yes. uh, access to b- nature, like right outside the city, like a bunch of things. Turns out that it was Berlin that fitted all of this. I okay true I was about to give up on my djing career before moving to Berlin I was like i'm oh. done i'm I've done a bunch of things i it's it's fine I've done like big festivals and tiny like basement for twenty people I'm done let's just go to Berlin and just whatever and then of course I got to Berlin went to a few clubs and realized I didn't see shit yet and I was dumb and there was not a moment to stop but in in any case to actually develop it and, and do something else so I actually did not move to Berlin at all for the um for the for the music scene. Uh, but it's the music scene in Berlin that made me a musician because before I moved to to Berlin, I I was DJing, but I was not making music and I didn't even feel the need or the desire to make music and it's once I was in Berlin and I finally started dancing because that's also Berlin taught me how to dance because I didn't dance before in clubs because I never felt comfortable in clubs uh, before. Oh, no. uh, I didn't feel comfortable with, uh, yeah, surrounded by men. I didn't feel comfortable with like having to spend a fortune on, on alcohol even though I don't drink. And, and I, I, like it was just not a space to, for me where I felt comfortable just letting go. And I learned to let go dancing in, in Berlin. And by dancing, I realized it changed obviously the way i saw my dj work because he was like oh that's what people feel inside of their bodies when i'm playing okay that's that's it's a whole new data that i need to incorporate in my work and uh, dancing uh, is what made me want to try to make music because as i was dancing i would always be like oh the You know, you're dancing to a track. I'm like, oh, if this bass was just a little different or if I added a clap here or I would add a vocal here, that would be my perfect track. And then I would just go home and like, all right, bitch, do your fucking perfect track then (laughs) if you think you're so smart.
1: (laughs) Yes, amazing. How do you feel that your um, kind of cultural upbringing growing up in France sort of affected your sexuality?
2: My sexuality? um,
1: Or did it at all
2: have any effect? I mean, it must have because you can't we're not we're not raised in a bubble so uh, all of it from education to cultural education to your family to all of this hasn't have to have an impact i don't know if i have a clear answer to this um what i would say is that it what i would say is that it I was happy to have always kind of been personally uh, like on a personality level, pretty, it was easy for me to remove myself from like the, the rules of society, because if I hadn't had that, I would have, I probably not embraced my sexuality and my homosexuality as easily because conservative family and, you know, like um, conservative, obviously Catholic church, uh, Catholic school. I, I think the, fact that I didn't I think the fact that I knew from very early on that I didn't belong to all the spaces I was in helped me not take too much uh let's say bad influence coming in input because it's like I don't want to say none of what you're saying matters to me but none of your what you're saying matters to me because that's already not how (laughs) I want to live my life that's not how I want to you know work-wise study-wise uh, all of this is not how I want to live my life, so it was easier for me to dissociate and not I think have uh I'm like I say I don't want to say it doesn't have an influence because it must have, but I think I was able to remove myself pretty early on from the toxic aspect of of that. If there's one thing that maybe stands out to me as in like what is French culture, but I I would know I wouldn't say about sexuality, but about dating. Mm, my god, uh, so confusing. <laughs> yeah. It's so, uh, I think I think French culture on dating has um has enforced this idea of monogamy longer in my brain than it should have. Uh I've never quite understood the American way of dating, which is like playing the field and you just like go on and and you know, just like date a few people until you find at the same time until you find the right one. It was very weird to me uh when I first dated American people. But <laughs> very I disconcerting think, I think It's it's. I think the dating the dating. There's more of a dating culture clash than a sexual culture clash. And I think this realizing that France was very monogamous, whether it's because of the way you imagine marriage, whether it's because the way you imagine romance. That when you French love is a lot about passion and romance, where I think love is much more than just passion and romance. Right. And so. I think this is maybe the the most obvious impact I would imagine, not so much on my sexuality, but on on being like, okay, well, if you are in love, you gotta be passionate and monogamous. Like, and I think a less passionate love is actually a more constructive, fulfilling, la- long lasting love. And I do not believe monogamy is the way to go now. So yeah, I think I guess I, that's that's why I remove myself from my Frenchness.
1: Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So have you felt, you were talking a bit about like being in the clubs in Berlin and allowing yourself to dance. Could you talk about how you have developed that relationship with your body and how it's evolved?
2: Uh, uh, it's changed a lot thanks to dancing because I think... First of all i think i was taking my body for granted beforehand because you just stop thinking that it breathes you stop thinking that it's thinking you stop thinking that it's walking and taking you place, you just take all of those bodily function for granted and i never really did sport or whatever so dancing for me was really realizing that my body was a whole living thing on its own like it like especially when dancing you 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 start moving in ways that are not planned. Like I don't tell my body, oh, it would be so cool if my right hand would do this wavy thing, and then my left leg at the same time. I don't think you just naturally move, and then you realize that your body has its own life. And 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 I think it's a really important moment of realization that you that you need to let go of the constant control. That your mind is always what's deciding what's happening. That your body can decide what's happening and I think this is very important when it comes to then like translating back to sexuality because once you learn to like I don't have to think about my pleasure my body's going to tell me what my pleasure is like Mm -hmm. so it's like it's like it's like volunt it's like saying okay the same the same way I can tune out of my brain when I dance that's the same tune out I need to do when I fuck which is just like letting your mind off and then letting trusting that your body will do what it needs to do and what makes you feel good because when i dance i feel incredibly free and unbothered and when when people say dance is like a, a, a physical expression it's 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 so crazy to me because expression to me is something voluntary like i decide what i want to say i decide what i want to write i there's I, I always think that my brain starts first and then i express myself to, to see my bodily expression of me dancing and realize I'm not controlling any of this. It's my body telling what I'm supposed to do and then therefore what I look like and therefore how I'm perceived. It's once you realize that it's such freedom. It's like, okay, well, I'm, I can express myself without intellectualizing it. I can. And so I think it was a really important moment uh, learning to let go dancing and learning to then go fucking because it means... you're you're forgetting what you look like. You're just dancing because it feels good. You don't even know if you look good dancing, but it doesn't fucking matter. Just the same way it doesn't matter if you look good fucking, you you know? So, uh, and trusting that your mind doesn't always have the answer and sometimes your body has the answer to it, but we don't believe it or we don't trust it. I think realizing my body knows stuff that my brain doesn't. So let's just like give it a little credit.
0: Beautiful. Oh
2: my God. And also the whole idea of like... um...
0: You know, you talked earlier about kind of performative sex, this idea of, like, that it, it, again, kind of coming from a heteronormative patriarchy, the idea of, like, it's it's about performing for your partner to kind of <laughs> give them pleasure. Instead, this idea of, like, kind of deep embodied connection and, like tr- like, trusting the process, which is kind of so not what we're taught really in any area, <laughs> besides Absolutely. perhaps, like, club spaces, you know, which is actually... Yep. Really, I—I I mean, I'm struggling to think of any any other places that we learn how to, like, feel our feelings in our bodies. Maybe yeah, yoga. I
2: don't know if there's a lot, but even that yoga, you're following positions, you're following rules. Mm-hmm. You need to put your body in certain positions at a certain time, at a certain tension. I think there's there's a reason why you know we say dance like no one's watching. We don't say do yoga like no one watching or <laughs> walk like no one's watching. No, but dancing. <laughs> and so I think we should be like fuck like no one's watching. Like, even yeah. your partner, like, you know, I dance with my eyes closed, fuck will your eyes closed, that makes you feel better, you know, like, it's, I think it's just removing, and it's the bigger part, because we always want to satisfy ourselves and the other one, especially if on top of it, you're having sex with someone you're also building a relationship with, because then it's not just like a one hookup. We're like, well, if it sucks, who cares? I'm not going to see that person again. Yeah. You know, if it's with someone you're building a relationship, then you want to make sure that everything is 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 good for everyone. But mm-hmm. it doesn't have to come through performance. I think if it goes through communication, it's, uh, it's so much more uh efficient like in the sense that you you, talking to people about how you want to fuck and how you don't want to fuck or how you don't know how you want to fuck is much more uh productive and you're gonna end up having a much more fun sex life than if you just assume because because performance is also assuming what the other person wants to see and Mm -hmm. wants to hear and wants to do which it goes into this like maybe they didn't watch the same porn maybe they didn't (laughs) you know like what you think is the hottest thing they could think of to be turned on maybe it's not so it's not just you keeping yourself from being carefree and and tuning out it's also maybe you that's not what they want the easiest is always to talk and i know for a lot of people they're like that's awkward it should not be it's really and i know this is the i think going back to like, you're going to have a daughter, a teenager in 15 years, like, the, the, the I think the biggest, biggest lesson is communication is not awkward per se, you can make it awkward if you don't want, it's the not wanting to talk about it, that's awkward, but if you want, yeah. if two people want to talk, there's, there's nothing you, I think we're in a world now, there's I mean, I can understand some people would be scared if they have specific kinks that, you know, they might feel judged uh, about by somebody else. But then even if that scares you, if you and your pleasure comes through a specific kink and that person you're fucking and or building a relationship with, doesn't understand that kink, then maybe it's better that you know now before you try building something with someone that's Mm -hmm. ultimately is not going to work. So I know it's a risk to talk to people, but I feel like it's less of a risk to talk right away than to talk later on. And I think this is important in all, not just like for everything, I have a lot of friends. For example, all the friends who are uh, in 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 open relationships or or, or polyamorous uh, relationships, the only one that works are the one that from the very beginning talked about it. And maybe it feels weird, like it's my first date. Why should I start with this person? Like, hey, by the way, I'm in an open. I want open relationships or be polyamorous because, like, this is a little presumptuous. We're just this is our very first date. So it's a lot of rules to know. Yeah, but you know what? Better to know now.
1: Hundred percent. the question is'
2: years later when the things come up and you're like hey by the way I want to fuck other people and then you're like oh really what did I do wrong like no no you didn't do anything wrong it has nothing to do with you it's just how I want to operate in a relationship and so I think communication and communication early on for sex I mean for anything but especially for sex which is something that is so built in culture and trauma and taboo the early the earliest you talk to your partner about things you like, don't like, things you don't know. Once again, things you don't know. I think it's really important to say, hey, I don't know. Because we don't have it figured out. And that's and so, okay. Because people maybe feel like scared of talking if they don't have a specific thing to say. But saying, I don't know what I'm doing or I don't know what I want to be doing. is just as important as saying, here are my boundaries. Well, at least it opens up the conversation,
0: right? Exactly. And, and it gives your the your conversation partner or sexual partner or both the opportunity to say, "Well, this is my this is my thing." Even if you don't know this is what I'm about, and you can you can opt in or opt out, you know. It it like it is almost a question of consent, especially around kind of non-monogamy or polyamorous kind of constellations just because like if somebody is totally not down, you should give them the, like the information up front. Yeah. Um And,
2: and even- also because once again, it's nothing like one of my relationship ended because the person wanted to be open and I was not ready. And I was like, I I can't do this. And, but the thing is they told me months in. So I also felt like it was a betrayal because of like, it was all peachy until now. And so now you're telling me this. So I felt like I didn't giving, I wasn't giving enough. I wasn't good enough. Mm. There's always, you take it personally, especially when you're in love. When I realized later on, it had nothing to do with that. This person just didn't want that type of relationship. It was nothing with whether or not I was giving enough or not like and then like forward fast forward to i don't know three four years ago i was ready to be in an open relationship with a partner that wanted to and so it's just it's okay to have your own journey it can take months it can take years but you cannot have your own journey if you don't put things on the table like this would have if i if this person hadn't told me three or six months in hey i want to be in an open relationship i could have maybe spent two years three years with that person trying to build something that eventually would have crumbled, I'd rather waste three months and a shorter, smaller heartbreak than, you know, try to skip that that issue. And then three years in, you're like, okay, this is going to hurt because this mm. is either not going to work or it's going it's, it's to hurt. And I don't think it's, you know, I, I, removing myself again from the passionate, burning, destructive French love, I think <laughs> shit don't have to be destructive. And it's better to build slowly, but build like being on the same page. And kind of
0: speaking of which I'm curious as to like I, that that open relationships to me sound like they require kind of a black belt in communication like how does your kind of if that's still the case or if even if it's not, how does your kind of ongoing relationship communication work like how do you keep current with each other, even if it might feel scary that, or painful
2: I think the best way um, is to uh, to first realize that Communication is an ongoing thing. Just because you had to talk once and you put out rules once down doesn't mean those rules are going to stay the same as you move on in the relationship. Because as an individual, you're going to change and you might have come up with the next years with different needs or wants or or your partner is going to come up with different needs or wants. So the first thing to me, the most important is that the communication is an ongoing process and that rules that you put down will change with with how you're feeling in the relationship. And so it's just, it's this, it's being, it's not like, oh, we talked at the beginning, we put down the rules, so the job is done. Mm. No, six months in, a year in, you're like, you know what? We decided that this worked for us at this point. For example, um, friends of mine were having a a polyamorous relationship or at least they were fucking or they were uh, it's a gay couple been there together for years and when they started fucking other people the rule was we're only fucking that other person together it needs to be something that we the three of us share Mm. this desire moved with the years at some point they're like you know what i kind of want to fuck people on my own and so that means that the rule that they've set once changed later on as long as you so it's the thing is Not Just because you you need to put a very strict frame so that no one feels betrayed, but that strict frame is going to move with time and you need to at least agree at the beginning of of an open relationship that those rules will have to be readjusted with time. And so that means agreeing from the get-go to not be lazy about about communicating and updating updating, because that's going to come eventually because we don't all want the same thing and and forever I'm thinking
1: about what a lazy communicator I continue to be in my relationship (laughs) because I find like I'm a big advocate for when someone else isn't communicating but it's because I want to get them to communicate (laughs) to make fucking
2: Integral decisions and okay, just realizing well, maybe if you know, if if within the relationship you know that one person is better than communicating at the with than the other which is also okay uh, maybe the one of the rules that can be put in place is the person who has more facility uh, ability and ease talking can check on the other one every I don't know you know you said every three months or every six months we're like hey how about cuz i will never come up with the subject cuz i feel too lazy or too shy or too stressed or too whatever can you please every 3 months come up with the subject on your own and you know like to have someone that does the 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 spring the the springboard jump and then once you start talking, you're, initiation. you initiation. Know, <laughs> <Totally>. Initiation, <laughs> exactly.
1: I, I've definitely always been that person in my relationships. And in this marriage that I'm in, it's really interesting. I feel like I taught my husband how to communicate better <laughs> in order so I didn't have to. And I'm just realizing what I was, i was just kind of processing that and just thinking, like, oh. I just like totally checked out from the communication uh, recently. I mean, and yes, also being pregnant changes everything. With a baby.
2: <laughs> and no. also the thing is, there's not, I don't see it necessarily as a bad thing. If you tell me basically you're trained your partner to communicate better with you so you didn't have to talk. In the end, the communication, the communication is working. You know, what, what matters is that you're right. talking. It doesn't matter who engages it. It doesn't matter who uh, fuels it. Is What matters is that you agree with the terms at the end of the conversation. It doesn't really matter how the conversation went. So it's okay. We once again we're in a in the relationship. We are dealing with someone whose brain is not wired the same as us. Mm. And we but we build on those difference. I thank God I don't have a partner that as talkative as I am. We would never fucking <laughs> get anything done. So you know it's just like agreeing that your difference can make it work
1: that's beautiful you've got a career as a sex therapist I so hope you if DJ <laughs> great, I'm really
2: having one as a DJ producer so I guess
1: I'm... <laughs> you and Louisa can go into co-practice together have a therapy practice it'll be amazing
0: um are there any artists like musical or otherwise whose sexual expression you relate to or that you draw power from
2: um I mean I love to see women like Cardi B or, or Megan Thee Stallion or whatever or Lil Kim back in the days who were who decided that who understood how the industry works and how society works and were like you want sex and sex sales, so instead of being the victim and you telling me how to sell sex i'm going to decide how i sell sex in the sense that we have a shift from girls band from the 90s and 2000s we which were selling sex but they were told what to wear and how to dance compared to cardi b today who says no 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 i i know exactly from my experience as a stripper i know exactly what sells like if you look at her if you look at all of her music videos they're all taken from a from a uh, the camera's under as if she was a stripper and she's dominating you the whole time. Yes, she's, she's twerking and shaking her, her ass to your face, but you're under she, from a dominating perspective. And so I do enjoy women that are like, fine, like, I am not going to be the object in this. I'm going to be the subject in this. And be sure I'm going to be selling sex and I'm still going to be shamed for selling sex because women are not supposed to be selling sex, <laughs> even though that's what everyone wants to buy. But to be the subject in in this in this in this relationship of like I'm gonna I'm gonna use the industry to my benefit and I'm gonna use the sex focus industry to my benefit. Um, <laughs> I really obviously like I didn't listen too much to to I didn't listen much to like uh, Prince or Bowie or stuff like that when I was a teenager, but it was in my surrounding from my sisters. And I did, like, obviously... I think that that also helped me realize that I didn't have to be... As a, as a cis woman, I didn't have to be a woman one way, that like gender could be bent in different ways. So I, I don't think this had so much to do with my sexually as much as my gender performance. Mm-hmm. As in, like, I... if they If those cis dudes can just dress whichever way they want, I can dress whichever way I want. And this informed, you know, obviously if you, if what informs your gender identity helps your sexual identity, helps your sexuality at the bottom of the line.
1: Yeah. Gorgeous. I love that. What inspiring message to carry there. What's inspiring you at the moment though? And how do you feel like you're healing or growing today?
0: (laughs) Listeners, it's Perrine just like (laughs) and fell
2: over. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to. You okay? (laughs) I choked. Oh, no. (laughs) I literally choked on that question.
1: Do you need a minute?
2: Can I have the question, please? Of
1: course. (laughs) So I'm really curious to find out. Oh. Are you all right? Do you yeah, need to I'm search? all right. <laughs> okay. So I'm curious to hear what's inspiring you at the moment and how do you feel like you're healing or growing today?
2: Um, a lot of uh, reading had, has helped me grow and, and heal. Some readings that what I was reading, reading, what you reading? You the other day, uh, Luisa. Oh, yeah. So it's, um, it's this French uh, scientist that's called Pablo Servigne, who's a collapsologist and who wrote a bunch of books in collaboration with other people. And one of them is they're both they're they're all um, they're all centered around collapseology, which is the transversal science that try to understand how the world we know it today, like the capitalist thermo industrial civilization, Western civilization we're we're in, how it's collapsing. So it's studying everything from economy to biology to 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 to, to, uh, society to politics and how all the signs of, of things crumbling down are here. And the pandemic has been a, a very, very strong example of that. So the first book is about how everything is going to collapse. The second book is uh, called L'Entraide, uh, autre, l'autre, L'Autre Loi de la Jungle, which is about mutual aid, which is about how uh, competition and the rule of the fittest is not the major rule in nature. It's, it's been made to be what we thought of the law of nature because it supported capitalism and racism. But truly, the, the strongest interconnection in nature is mutual aid. Different species help each other. Plants and, and species and animal species help each other. Different plants help each other. And so it was really an important read. And the third one from Pablo which is also another end of the world is possible how we can live through and not just survive the, the collapse of the world as you know it, which is more of a spiritual and emotional. A book about how emotionally and spiritually you can change the way you see the world so that you can grieve the future you thought you were going to have and you can grieve the world that you were raised in and you thought you were going to see in front of your eyes until you were dead. So all those three books have helped me a lot in, in accepting the situation that we're in because the pandemic that we're in is not just like a crisis. It's an exemplification of everything that was wrong before it happened for very specific reasons that we know of. And so it it helped me a lot accept the situation we're in, and it helped me a lot in envisioning um, new futures, new ways of seeing, new ways of building society, being economics, being nature, or new ways of building the future. Because the problem is with, uh, let's say, the apocalypse as a cultural term, is that it's very dark like every depiction of apocalypse that we see whether in science fiction movies or science fiction books they're always incredibly violent it's always a war it's always uh people tearing each other for resources it's it's a very dark dark depiction of 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 a collapse and then the rebirth so we need as artists and as our and as individual but especially as artists we need to participate in creating new fiction that people can, see and can grab for themselves about a different future uh, so so that we don't see the collapse of something as like uh, the end of like a fucking war zone because we also know for a fact that in moments of, of urgency whether it's because you're fleeing a war or because there's a natural catastrophe or whatever the first instinct of people and this has been documented the first is not to go and like loot and rape and kill people, is to help each other. This has been proven by many, many, many uh, researchers. Mutual aid is the very first instinct of human when things go bad. But Mm -hmm. it's not what culture depicts of when things go bad. When what culture depicts is the end of the world is violent and it's so, so so those books have helped me a lot in, in growing and healing and accepting that we need to invent a different future we ne- therefore we need to grieve the previous one and I as an artist need to participate in building this new fiction that people can grab onto so that they can also envision a different future
1: wow that's amazing let's put some of those books in the show notes so people can yes, follow so we'll out. You all the links. <laughs> wait I have the links because everyone yeah. sent them to me last week <laughs> perfect oh, yes. amazing so as we wrap up today we want to bounce into our infamous lightning round so these are just like one word answers paying Holy like
2: shit. one word yeah. that's my biggest yeah. challenge
1: okay, <laughs> okay. ready Go for it last blue you start if you could choose your last meal very morbid
2: what would you choose oh cheese cheese nice <laughs> oh, Fantastic. Just, cheese. just a, a st- platter just a platter of cheese just a platter of cheese uh un sauvi a un chaours un, un, un saint felicien uh un petit crotin de chavignol uh, <laughs> like a, a, un bleu un, un saint agur like un bleu un papillon like full on big indecent... She's better. Thank you. <laughs> yes, that's the most
1: French thing yes, you've said it's it's in the sorry. last hour. <laughs> I <It comes>. mean, <laughs> have left France, but France has not left you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 100%. What is a song that gives you life today?
2: A uh, song that gives me life today, um, I mean, give me life. Okay, I, I have a song that I love by Tr- Di Trenada, but it's not giving me, it's a little dark. So I don't know if it's giving me life, but when I'm angry and I want to feel. Okay with being angry, that it's like, um, like it's an okay feeling to be angry. I listened to Attitude by Di Uh If we're talking uplifting, there's this uh, female Spanish rapper that's called Paranoid 1966, and she just released <gasps> a track like, like uh, a week ago or something that's called Tic Tac, and it's really fun. And it's just fabulous. Just, yeah. Love it. Awesome. So what's the last good series you watched? I don't. Watch a lot of series, <laughs> movies. Um, I mean, no, let's just go for it. it's one word. Not thinking about it, what I really been watching all pandemic long, mm. let's be honest, is RuPaul Drag Race. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's just true. Whether, whether like, it's good or not, <laughs> I'm not gonna be lying. Like I'm gonna be like trying to find like a super obscure, so smart. No, I've been I've been watching every RuPaul, all the seasons. All of have you them. watched the British one? Of course, I watched the British one, of course <laughs> so I got good. outraged. I got outraged because Bimini should have won, but it's okay. She'll oh have a Oh my god, record.
1: I couldn't agree with you more.
2: It's okay, Bimini. Is it's okay amazing. because Bimini has has already everything they need right now. They're gonna have a yeah. huge career as a model, as a drag, yeah. whatever. While Lawrence Cheney, apart from drag, what do they really have? Nothing. So it's okay that Lawrence Cheney, yeah. At least they'll be able to say, "I'm the drag queen and winner." Yeah. Uh, is gonna be bigger uh, than Violet Chachki, and that's everything that I, I wish for them.
0: Oh, How do you play? Very open ended. How do I play?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, that's too open ended. You gotta need to give me. It could be sexually.
0: Of- it could be creatively. <laughs> it could be like, like uh, in your body. It can be in your intellect.
2: Um, I. Well, I guess I would tend to say all in. Like, if I play a set, I'm all in. And it doesn't matter if it's, like, technically perfect or if, if I had the the right order of my track list for this building, this thing, just all in if i'm playing a game and we have a game night or anything i'll play like my life depends on it even though i'm not a sore loser i don't care about actually losing but while i'm playing i need to it needs to be the most important thing that's happening and i guess fucking is the same thing when i'm playing it's just what's happening right now needs to be the most important thing and if it's not yeah and if it's not which is okay because we're all stressed and we all have things coming into your mind and if in the middle of fucking your thought comes to you and overwhelms you with like stress or with just stop just stop get it all out and you'll fuck another time or you'll fuck later on like be all in or not is I guess is how I play
1: love it and what do you love?
2: could you make more general questions? (laughs) this is the whole point the first thing that comes to mind Uh, honestly I love uh, living in Barcelona right now It's, uh, it's been a very, very challenging to move into a whole new country six months before pandemic. So a place where, you know, no one, you don't have a, a work, you don't have a support system. You don't have your boundaries. You don't have your, like, it's been very challenging, but I'm very, very happy to be in such a, a sunny, warm, like climate warm, but people warm place during a pandemic, because I think. It would have been emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually very hard to go through all of this if I felt alone, which, I mean, sometimes I do because I miss my friends from 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 Berlin, obviously, but I don't feel alone because I feel like I'm part of a community just being in my neighborhood. Like even just, you know, the fact that your neighbors talk to you, that the people in the supermarket talk to you, like the, 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 the physical, the human warmth that I feel here in Barcelona is helping me a lot going through this thing. So I love being in Barcelona right now
1: amazing la fraîcheur you have been such a delight to talk to for the last hour and 10 minutes thank you so much for making time today despite having a shitty day you brought such wicked energy to this conversation well, where can enough. people find you on the internet
2: uh, well on instagram at la fraîcheur music you're gonna have to put my name somewhere because no one knows how to spell la fraîcheur <laughs> but okay. la fraîcheur music on on facebook i think it's la fraîcheur dj and that's pretty much all I have because I, I I just deleted everything else. That's oh, and Tweet. SoundCloud, In SoundCloud, La You'll just you'll just find out. <laughs> fabulous,
1: out. fabulous. Thank you so much. Um, We're stoked to have you on Sober Sex.